Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. We'll get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio is going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Burr. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Big Heads Media Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome into another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It is the final podcast of the decade. That's right, the final podcast of the 2010s decade. And then we will move on, of course, to 2020, which will be uh, one of the more exciting years in Carolina football. But on today's show, we are not going to talk just exclusively about the 2019 Tar Heels. We're going to wait and do our uh, our postseason awards as well as uh, look back at who we picked as our standouts before the season. We're going to do that in a couple of days. Right now we're on here and we're going to talk about our all-decade teams for the Tar Heels uh, from the 2010 season through the 2019 season. So basically how we did it is it's pretty much um, your typical all-ACC type format. Um, There might be a couple of changes, but basically one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, a tight end, uh, five offensive linemen, four defensive linemen, three linebackers, three defensive backs, and then we'll do special teams as well. I went a little more in-depth with uh, some of the stuff on the article than we'll go uh, in-depth here on the show, Um, but we'll really just kind of touch on each of the positions. Some we'll talk about a little bit more than others, really the ones that can be debated a little bit more. There are some that are pretty obvious that we'll just roll with um, and let you guys kind of figure out your own team along the way as well. It's a little bit different uh, than how we did the basketball one because basketball you only have a starting five uh, but uh, I got Josh Marlowe along with me that'll help me break this down along the way so uh, buddy uh, one of those one of those decades for Carolina football not quite the most successful decade for the Tar Heels but still one that produced some interesting results and some really good players that we can look back on and have some fond memories of yeah I mean you gotta think you had what, three different head coaches in this decade Everett Withers Larry Fedora Mac Brown and uh, Butch Davis as well in 2010. So you you had four. Um, So four four head coaches over 10 years, and 
it was a roller coaster, I think, is the best way to describe what, what we went through starting in 2010, where we what we ended up through with Larry Fedora, and now where we are again now with Mac Brown back in Chapel Hill. But the good thing was was that we always had guys on Saturdays that were a lot of fun to watch, and that's what we're going to talk about today is some of the great guys that we got to watch. And for us, this is really where our Tar Heel, fan, our Tar Heel football fandom kind of grew, was right. starting starting in this decade, and now, of course, you know, we're writing blogs, doing podcasts, going to games, you know. It's we, true. It is true. Yeah, we were uh, just little nerds that were watching games for the longest time while mixing in some video game playing on Saturdays. Now uh, we're literally sitting there with uh, our computers waiting for the games to happen so then we can write recap articles, stock reports, trench reports, uh, other team news. Yeah, that's... It's uh, it's pretty bad when we're we're looking forward to uh, that kind of stuff. But this is this is the field that we love we love to be in. So uh, these types of articles are always the fun ones to do. And uh, you know, I it, it's just the start of the off season, so we're gonna have a lot more of these types of articles coming up. But this one, I think, fell at a really good time as well, right after the season, and uh, really produces some some really good discussion. So um, we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, of course, we'll talk about the most important position on the field. That is quarterback. And I feel like this one probably pretty obvious just based on all of the statistics. Uh, you know, the fact that, um, you know, the, the guy that we went with played more than one year at quarterback. Um, you know, I think the most obvious answer here is... Marquise Williams. You can make the argument talent-wise for Mitch Trubisky, for Sam Howell, but you look at Marquise Williams, a guy that threw for nearly 8,000 yards, 61 touchdowns in his career, and is the only Tar Heel quarterback, only player in Tar Heel history to go over 10,000 yards of total offense. This one seems pretty obvious, and, you know, I mean, he's one of those guys that is also up there when you want to talk about the program's great uh, all-time quarterback. So this one was pretty easy for me. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that, uh, you know, put up a lot of production and yardage. Um, He's also the quarterback that took Carolina to the first-ever ACC championship game and was the quarterback that went toe-to-toe with Deshaun Watson here in Charlotte. And... It was a a rocky start for him. I remember when we landed him as a recruit, this was a guy that was raved about in that recruiting class. And then, of course, he left Carolina, and then he re-enrolled back in, I guess, was what his red shirt, sophomore or or junior year. And Brent Renner got hurt. He kind of stepped in, sparked that team. And, you know, it always seemed like whenever he played, even though he wasn't the most – you know, efficient passer. He always felt like he gave you a chance because he was going to make enough plays with his arm. He could make up for the lack of arm production with his legs, and was really a lot of fun to watch. And I mean, that 2015 season. You take away the opener in South against South Carolina, he was almost flawless, leading right, that leading right. that team to an 11 and one record. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, Trubisky had a great one year. Uh, Sam Howells had a had a had a fantastic one year. We got to see keys for about three. Right, and that, and that's the reason why. Yeah, about about two and a half. Uh, I think you know coming in for Renner after uh, he got injured in his final game uh, against NC State of his senior year. Um, of course, that game was mid-season, but he was ruled out for the year. Then uh, Keese comes in 
puts them on a four-game winning streak, I believe it was. Might have been five. I think one of the two, four or five-game winning streak before, of course, they eventually got beat in the regular season finale against uh, against Duke and then ends up going into the bowl game against Cincinnati and pulls out the win. So, I mean, this was a guy that, you know, yeah, when you talk about that 2015 season, he was what drew that entire offense. I mean, you look back and, and you know, everybody wants to talk about guys like Matt Collins, Ryan Switzer, Elijah Hood, who had a huge year that year as well. I mean, you look at what Marquise Williams did. I mean, I, he wasn't in the Heisman race, and probably rightfully so, but this is still a guy that almost ran for 1,000 yards that year, along with what he did through the air. So, yeah, there's there's a legitimate, you know, battle here when you want to talk about talent between him, uh, Sam Howell and Mitch Trubisky. But I think, you know, because of how much more he played than the other two guys, you got to go with Marquise Williams here. And then uh, you go to running back. This one, again, pretty easy, I think. Uh, it's Geo and, and Elijah Hood. I think, you know, there, there might be some argument if – Michael Carter ends up finishing his career pretty well, that Michael Carter could be in there. But again, we're just taking the stats from this decade. So, I mean, you look, Geo, a no-brainer, was only active for two seasons. Of course, redshirted his first year on campus. And both of those seasons saw him over 1,500 yards of total offense and reached double-digit touchdowns, uh, you know, 14 touchdowns and 17 touchdowns, um, respectively, in his two seasons on campus. Uh, He finished his two seasons with 2,481 rushing yards, 852 receiving yards, and 31 touchdowns. Really just a do-it-all type of guy uh, in his time in Chapel Hill. And then for Elijah Hood, uh, you know, kind of had some ebbs and flows throughout his career. Didn't finish his career quite as well as maybe some had hoped after a phenomenal 2015 season, but still... Um, you know, posted over ba- uh, posted back-to-back seasons with over a thousand yards, uh, including the 2015 season where he ran for 1,463 yards and 17 touchdowns. That rushing yards number second all-time behind only uh, Don McCauley, and also those were the third most rushing touchdowns in program history. He actually finished his career with more rushing yards than Geo with two. 2,580 rushing yards and 29 touchdowns. But, of course, remember that Geo uh, did hit in just two years while Elijah Hood was there for all four years of his career. So uh, th- these two seem like no real real no-brainers to me. I mean, T.J. Logan is the guy that I had as my first second-team guy. But, I mean, when you look at these guys, they were just a little bit of a step above everybody else and were part of what was, you know, a pretty decent crop of running backs here during this decade for Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been crazy to see the numbers Geo puts up if he stays. Um, for Can that, you imagine for him that, in this year's offense? Yeah, well, oh, I mean, think about Lord. that offense that wow. he would have, if he would have stayed in that second year for Larry Fedora. You remember when that season ended, uh, Carolina, of course, was 7-6 and six under Larry Fedora their first year. No, no, 8-4 and four was their first year. Right, didn't and, go to a bowl game um, because of the bowl ban, yep. Gio Bernard was being talked about as a sleeper for the Heisman Trophy next year because of the production that he had already put up and what they um, expected him to put up in the next year of Larry Fedora's offense. This is a guy that, I mean, even the, the first year when they were running just the old school lineup in the eye and just run the ball, 
he was still producing. Um, so really was robbed of him. You know, I, I you, know, you talked about playing video games. That was a guy that that first year we had the spread offense. I was like, this is a lot of fun. Right. Uh, and right. then Elijah Hood. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy that came in, heralded recruit uh, right here out of Charlotte Catholic. He had the big year uh, the in 2015, his, his junior year. He wasn't as great. Uh, but we kind of learned after he decided to leave for the NFL, he wasn't always healthy and was struggling with, I think it was asthma issues, but he couldn't always have his full breath. But, man, when he was on, he was a tough runner in the, in the ACC, mm-hmm. racked up a lot of yards um, after contact, was a really hard runner. T.J. Logan's interesting because he was a little bit of a do-it-all kind of back. He was active in the pass game, could run the ball. He had some points in that 16-year. He was our best runner and, of course, was a threat in the return game. But I would still probably lean Elijah Hood because 2015 success doesn't happen without him running for those 1,400 yards. Oh, definitely. And, I mean, the thing for T.J. Logan, he always seemed to be that guy that was number two on the depth chart. He could just never seem to climb into that role as the number one guy but was still – so efficient out of that number two running back role, that rotational back role uh, that he, he he had to be talked about. When you go to wide receiver, again, this is another one. Uh, the offensive side of the ball really is pretty easy. Uh, you got to go with uh, outside wide receivers. I went with Quinshot Davis, of course, you know, touchdown, career touchdown leader at Carolina with 25 in his career, um, all of which came in the decade. You got Dwight Jones. Uh, now, Dwight Jones' career did begin in 2009, but his two most productive seasons came in his final two years, which were at the start of the decade. So you have to put him on the list. And then Ryan Switzer, of course, uh, the guy that it leads uh, Carolina all-time in receptions and receiving yards. You have to put him on the list in the slot. I mean, out of those three guys, I mean, I just don't feel like there's much more that you can debate. Maybe Mac Hollins just because of how good of a deep pass catcher he was. But, I mean, I, I don't know who you're taking off that list if you're going to put him on there. I, I still lean Dwight Jones because Dwight Jones is one of those guys that really wasn't flashy. But when you go back and look at his numbers and you think about it, you say to yourself, yeah, yeah, I can I can kind of see that because he just he pretty much caught everything uh, and, and had to do it after Keem Nix left campus. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think those are the three – clear-cut answers. Uh, you know, you think of Quinshaw Davis. We don't think about the catch at Virginia Tech that clinched the ACC Coastal title for us in 15. Um, Dwight Jones, yeah, I mean, was kind of – you know, we that was right when we were first coming into to Carolina football. I mean, we'd watched it growing up, but when we saw, you know, Hakeem Nix, but that was a guy, like you said, I mean, he was Carolina's pastor, and that was it. Yes. And the, and the kind of offense yep. that they ran at the time, it was, well, we're going to throw the ball to 83, and he's going to make a play. And Switzer, I mean, what we could talk about Switzer for hours. That was our favorite Tar Heel. Right. Um, you know, as a time as a freshman, just a guy that, you know, worked his tail off to break all those records because he under you know was wasn't a highly thought of recruit. Um, but by the time as a senior was was Mitch Trubisky's go-to guy, especially on third and fourth downs. Right, was able to get over the middle of the field. I mean, those are the three guys and. If Deami Brown was maybe a junior, you maybe put him in there because of the kind of year he's had this year. But we've only got two years of him putting up numbers. So. Right. I actually have him as as because uh, I went I went in depth enough to do a second and third team. I actually have him on the third team because uh, I went with Mac Hollins and and Bug Howard over him really because Deami just has the one year of production. That's the biggest issue. Was 
the first year on campus, they didn't really – I mean, Larry Fedora's offense wasn't able to use him the same way that Phil Longo's offense was able to. Larry Fedora wasn't smart enough to use him ah, as Phil Longo. Here we go. just saying something. Here we go. Because uh, Buzz Cut's offense hasn't always been the smartest. My God. Just leaving it all out on the table today. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, you, you talked about Switzer, just dominant. A guy that just, you know, everybody's going to remember him as a punt returner. I mean, he, by by his junior year, he was the go-to guy in the slot. And there was legitimate thought when he went to the NFL that this guy could be a, a, a guy that lasted a while in the NFL at slot receiver. That hasn't really panned out just yet. Uh, there's, I mean, still time possibly, but I mean, this was a guy, he was that dominant towards the end. I mean, the game that I think everybody can look back at if you really need is that Pittsburgh game where he just, I mean, if it was thrown in his direction, he found a way to haul it in and make the catch. So uh, him and, 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 and Quinshot, Quinshot's another one of those guys that like, you know, we knew he was going to be special because remember when he came in his true freshman season, he was a guy that worked his way into the rotation immediately. And we were like, oh, OK, this is not, you know, a guy out of Gaffney, South Carolina, who was a four star. But many were still expecting, OK, it's going to take him a little while to sort of get himself into the flow of things. All of a sudden we have this other guy, this this guy out here catching passes left and right in the end zone. And we're like. Like, okay, I guess we got to take notice of him. Finished with 25 receiving touchdowns. And, again, not a guy that is, you know, super flashy, you know, like like Switzer or, or like Mac Hollins who did it with the, with all the deep catches, but still a guy that was just really, really solid. And, uh, you know, Dwight Jones, as we said, you know, just kind of the do-it-all guy. When you go down uh, to tight end, this is, this is uh, I mean, this is the most obvious one on this list. Uh, I mean, look, Eric Ebron was as dominant as any tight end has ever been at Carolina. Uh, You know, had the fourth most receiving yards of anybody in the decade. That includes all wide receivers and tight ends and set school records for receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns by a tight end. Mark, uh, the latter mark that was later broken by uh, Brandon Fritz, who uh, got uh, Ebron finished with eight touchdowns in his career. Fritz will finish with nine touchdowns in his career but ultimately uh, Eric Ebron is about as easy of a pick as you can get here especially considering the fact that in those mid-2000s especially his final year on campus in 2013 uh, he was the dominant receiver for the Tar Heels not only just as a tight end but in the overall offense. Yeah, I mean, he, he was one of the rare guys that when your go-to guy to throw the football to was your tight end. That was that was Eric Ebron in that 2013 year, and he was, I guess, up to the challenge because his production was always there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, and you remember he had the big, the one-handed catch at Georgia Tech in that year. That's right. Had a big-time game against Miami on, the, on Zero Dark Thursday that year. So it seemed like the bigger the game, he kind of rose to the occasion. And, I mean, he played well enough to be a top – pick in the NFL as a tight end at a position that you don't really see that in the first round anymore these days, and he's gone on to have a pretty uh, successful pro career, but he was always a lot of fun to watch how Larry Fedora used him in the offense, because they schemed every week different ways to find him the football, which is unique for a tight end. Yeah, I mean, we have not seen a tight end since he's been on campus that's been used quite that same way, because not only could you use him as an inline tight end, he was able to, you know, 
do handle his own blocking wise. But you know, you could split him out and use him as your slot receiver because he could find separation. And you know, you talked about you know how big it was for Marquise Williams when he stepped in and led the Tar Heels in 2013 to a great finish down the stretch. Part of the reason that he was able to do that was because of Eric Ebron. That was his favorite target down the stretch. That was the guy that he was most comfortable going to. And you can see why. I I don't, you know, most of the other ones, if we bring up any of the guys that are behind, uh, you know, the the guys on the list, the second and third team guys, we'll bring them up because we think there's a competition. This one, there's no competition. I just wanted to bring up the names at this position that I had on the second and third team. Jack Tab is my second team tight end. It was a linebacker. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he alternated with both before basically just eventually settling at tight end. Did some good things. Had over 500 yards receiving in his career. Uh, and then the other guy that I put on the list was Brandon Fritz. But, I mean, that shows you how thinly used the tight end was for Carolina outside of when Eric Ebron was there. And, you know, I want I don't know if it's going to change that much under Phil Longo. I don't think it will, honestly, because he didn't use his tight ends a ton when he was at Ole Miss. He used them a little bit more than he that they were used this year. But it, it really just shows the amount of drop-off at that position when you look at Ebron compared to everybody else. Oh, yeah. No, you're exactly right. You want to talk about dominant at a position, that that was him. And, I mean, we're still kind of trying to find that uh, that. That kind of met because the problem, the thing about him was he was a matchup problem for tight ends in the middle of the field. There are not many tight ends that could match his physicality. You're not going to bring a safety in the slot to cover a tight end, right? So, like, that was the thing about him was like it just opened up other parts of your offense. Right. And we didn't have these Isaiah Simmons and all these athletic linebackers that are pretty much just safeties playing linebacker right. at the time. So, he was able to take advantage of it. Let's get to your spot uh, in the trenches on the offense. We'll start on the uh, with the offensive line. Um, I mean, look, I- I'm going to just kind of go from, like, most obvious to, you know, then maybe some of the debatable ones. Jonathan Cooper's no-brainer. A- absolutely no-brainer. I know that his career started in 2008. He redshirted that year, then was a redshirt freshman in 09. So pretty much the bulk of what he did was in the early part of this decade. Uh, look, a guy that was a- an early first-round draft pick, top-ten draft pick, and rightfully so he was about as good as it got on the offensive line. There's a reason why uh, he was a unanimous first team All ACC and All American in 2012, and uh, that that's just one that to me doesn't seem like there's much debate. The other one that doesn't seem like there's any debate at all is Landon Turner. Landon Turner, I don't think people realize how good he really was. Uh, you know, just because I, I think you know the rest of the offensive line, they they weren't flashy names like Jonathan Cooper's a name that's in the ring of honor Landon Turner I think should eventually be in there but because he wasn't quite as heralded as Cooper wasn't a first team All-American he's just really not talked about but I mean this is a guy that earned uh third-team All-ACC honors in his uh, junior year and then got first-team All-ACC and All-American honors in his final season on campus. Now, only one publication listed him as a first-team All-American, but this was a guy that was just dominant from the word from, from the word go when he got on campus and really, you know, made a name for himself. Although he didn't get drafted uh, in the NFL draft, still a guy that you 
know, really is is I'm not going to compare him to Jonathan Cooper, but he's still a guy that should definitely, without a doubt, be on this list. As I was yawning as you were talking, yeah, no, you're exactly right. Cooper, no debate. Um, you 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 go top ten, you, you know, you're going to be on on an all decade team. Um, he hasn't had the kind of NFL career that he expected to have, but a lot of that was because of injuries, pretty much. Uh, but it was a big part. He joined my Dallas Cowboys a few years ago and provided some much needed offensive line depth at the time. That was just a guy that just mauled people and was just very good in both the run blocking and the pass blocking. Extremely case. athletic. Yeah, that was the thing that made him because he could he could get lateral, you know, he could pull and all that kind of stuff. Paved a lot of way for all those yards Giovanni Bernard racked up in his time on, on campus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then Landon Turner... Everything you just said is exactly right. Also, is the kind of guy that started the "I got your back" mantra for that team in 2015. Yeah, oh, I, uh, one of the biggest leaders of yeah. The, I mean that middle of the Fedora era. You know, I, you, I mean, without a doubt, his production was there, but his leadership, I think, was more valued for that. Still can't believe that a guy that was a first-team All-ACC and an All-American goes undrafted. But yeah, I don't get that. That's the NFL world that we live in today, but a, a, a quality offensive lineman and a, a better person off the field for, for Carolina. So the offensive tackles, uh, James Hurst, I think, was kind of one of those guys that you had to put on there. I put him in in the offensive line tier rankings that I did earlier this year, and he, he was pretty much a shoe. And everybody, of course, will remember when he went head-to-head with Jadavian Clowney and got the best of him, but really was just a dominant force You know, when, when he started back in 2010, earned freshman All-American honors, and followed that with three straight appearances on all ACC teams, including uh, back-to-back first-team honors to close his career. Was never recognized on the national stage, but really one of those guys that just was everything that Carolina needed him to be at tackle, protecting the blind side um, for, you know, a guy that, you know, got up there in, in a lot of the rankings in, in Bren Renner and then did it a little bit late in his career uh, for Marquise Williams as well. Uh, the other guy, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave him. Why don't we just talk a little bit about Hurst real quick because the other two I feel like are really – there's some debate that you could do there. Yeah, I mean, with Hurst – he probably would have been on a lot more teams in terms of where the all ACC if Carolina would have won more. Right. Because whenever you see people fill out their all ACC or their all conference ballots, you look at the offensive linemen, they're always pretty much from the teams that won a lot of games. Because that's the one position that no one really watches when they're at when they're at football games. Everyone's watching the quarterback and the running back and the skill guys. Well, they have the football, yeah. The yeah. offensive linemen usually don't, so your focus is elsewhere. But this yeah. was a guy that I mean, like you said. Went one on one with Jadavian Clowney, held his own against at the time the the, the front runner to win the Heisman Trophy that year, and uh, was just a solid a solid tackle or yeah no tackle and uh, and then's gone on to have a very good uh, career in the NFL. So yeah, I, I mean, mean what what are you gonna say? Won a Super Bowl ring with the Baltimore Ravens as well. So this is a guy that it carried over with him. You knew from the minute. I mean, look if you're on the field as a tackle. As a fre- in your freshman year, you're doing something you're, right. You're doing something right. You made a real good impression, and that's exactly what he did. And is one of those guys that uh, you would kill to have on an offensive line. Well, you know, especially can you imagine if him and Charlie Heck were on the same offensive line together? There would be nobody getting after Sam Howell. Um, and so we talk about Charlie Heck. I had the debate between him and his brother John at right tackle. I think 
You could maybe, maybe make a case for Bentley Spain, but I feel like it's it's Charlie and John. Um, you know, I, I went with John just because he, you know, received more of the All-ACC honors, uh, receiving All-ACC honors in both of his final two years on campus, started 50 career games along the offensive line, which was just a couple more than Charlie. But, I mean, look, these two brothers, but also both of them just really, really good offensive linemen. And and I feel for Charlie because I feel like he kind of got duped the last couple of years because he's been a really good offensive lineman for the Yeah, I'd, I'd probably lean Charlie because think about whenever he wasn't available to play. We were scared. To, we were scared to death. Of, that's a good we, point. Could, could we keep our quarterback upright? Well, that's the more that that's the what does MVP mean type of debate? More valuable or better player? I mean, I don't know because these two are both very, very good so, players. I mean, that's why I would go him because whenever he wasn't on the field, I was a lot more worried about is my quarterback going to make it through the game, right? As opposed to John. But yeah, no, both both guys, uh, hell hell of a, hell of football players. And you got to think Charlie came in as a tight end and then converted converted right. to play uh, tackle. Kind of shows you the versatility he has as a football player. And we expect him to have a pretty career in the, in the NFL. I'd love for my team to draft him or, you know, right. a lot of teams that need offensive line uh, play. So Well, and I mean, we'll probably discuss it at some point when we, when we start doing some of the draft podcasts, um, you know, when we get closer to the NFL draft with, with our guys, we'll, we'll kind of break him down for you. I mean, Charlie Heck, look, I mean, he does one thing and one thing great. And that is pass protect. Yeah. And guess what you need to do at the NFL level with where the game's at today? Pass protect. He can run block as well. I think John was probably a little bit of a better run blocker than him. But, I mean, look, he, I mean, you can compare them back and forth. Charlie is, is one of those guys that just was a workhorse from the, his first opportunity on the field. So that that's where I went with that. And then at center, I had the debate between Lucas Crowley and Russell Bodine. Russell Bodine, of course, did get drafted, left a year early. If he would have came back, I feel like he probably would have been able to uh, get drafted a little bit higher even. Um, I went with Crowley, though, because he started 41 games at Carolina and closed out uh, his career with third and second team All-ACC honors in his final two years, uh, whereas Russell Bodine, I don't even, if I remember correctly, didn't even get an honorable mention anywhere. Um, I, it, another tough one, but I, I went with the guy that had a little more experience on campus uh, of the two of them. Yeah, yeah, I'd lean Crowley, too. Also, what a good name for an offensive lineman. I don't know. It just kind of always, you know. Lucas Crowley. That just seems like a guy that, yeah, I'm going to come and I'm going to maul your ass for three hours on a Saturday. In, That's in what Keenan he did, Stadium. yeah. Three, so, three years as the starter at center. So. Um, yeah, no. I, look, but both guys, good, good quality players, but Crowley, clearly. I, I, I don't think it was much of a debate there. Okay. So then you go to the defensive line, and look, for a – unit that's always kind of been the bread and butter for Carolina really out of any unit on the entire team. This is, you know, you see the debates. Is Carolina D-line you? If you go back through the history, you can make the argument. I don't know if they quite lived up to that type of mantra this during this decade, but you look at some of the guys that came through. Really, really good players. Uh, guys that will be mentioned uh, among Carolina lore, but maybe aren't quite as high up as some of the guys in the 2000s 
or in the uh, decade prior in the 1990s when Mac Brown was first there. Um, but, I mean, look, you got Quentin Copels. Uh, I mean, look, the guy came in, was, was dominant. I know that his career began in 2008, but his last two seasons on campus were just unbelievable. Uh, and, I, I mean, he landed uh, first-team All-ACC honors in both of those seasons. Um, and, you know, as a guy that had over 15 tackles for loss and seven sacks in both of those years, Hard to leave him off the list. Went as a first-round draft pick, of course. Didn't really pan out at the NFL level, but that's one of those guys that, you know, when I look back on it, I really wish he did pan out because he was really good when he was at Carolina early on under Butch Davis and then under Everett Withers in his final season. Uh, and then uh, Kareem Martin, no real debate there either. Another guy that was just dominant, um, you know, of course was, you know, dominated through uh, from his sophomore year on, uh, but really took off his senior senior year when he had 21 and a half tackles for loss and 11 and a half sacks to earn first team all ACC honors and then the other guy that I put on there that I don't think anybody can debate is Sylvester Williams there two years as a Juco transfer and did just about anything you could want uh, out of your defensive tackle finished with 20 and a half tackles for loss eight and a half sacks so he could do both he could stop the run he could get after uh, the quarterback and really uh, you know once you, you saw Quentin Copels leave campus, there was a time where, yeah, Kareem Martin was dominant, but Sylvester Williams was probably your best defensive lineman. So that run, just those three guys that were sandwiched in there between the Butch Davis uh, finale, final season, uh, Everett Withers era, and then the early Larry Fedora era, just a phenomenal group right there, those three. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Copels was a guy that was uh, hard to block off the edge and, and, and pass blocking, but also played the run very well. Mm-hmm. Um, Kareem Martin, who, that senior year was just dominant. And, I mean, it, I mean, he was doing stuff that, like, you know, when we say Ndamukong Sue, like in terms of tackles for loss, I mean, that's how good he was that senior right. year. Think back to Ndamukong Sue went to the Heisman Trophy presentation that one year because of how dominant he was there at Nebraska. And then Sly, I mean, great story. But was also a big part of that Carolina defense that was, you know, in, in transition from the Butch Davis era to the Larry Fedora era. He was the one guy that you could probably count on to, to show up and, and make some plays. Got a Super Bowl ring with the Broncos. So those are the kinds of people that whenever you want to make the argument for D-line university – it's not the uh, you know Julius Peppers or whatever. It's the other guys that. It's your depth guys. Yeah. You say, look at this guy. Look at his numbers, and, and, and you're and like, wow, guys, that's and, pretty good. And you know, like you said, Copels was a first round pick. Didn't pan out for him, but I mean, the talent was definitely there. So I mean, that's the thing. Right. Carolina's never lacked talent on the on, on the defensive front. Oh, they're always going to have talent down there, and it even extends to the guy that I have as the uh, the the last first team member here. I went with Aaron Crawford. I know that the accolades aren't going to be there. And I think the debate is between him and Nazir Jones. Part of the reason that I went with Crawford here is because you kind of need a nose tackle. Sly wasn't really a nose tackle. He was more that three-technique defensive tackle who could work well against guards. He never really struggled against centers because he was always faster than him. But he wasn't a guy that you would think would fit great in the middle of your defense, where Crawford is. And, I mean, look, here's the other thing about Aaron Crawford. He was as dominant of a a run defender as you're going to see. This past year, his senior year, he was the best interior defensive lineman against the run in the country according to Pro Football Focus. And if you want to say that Pro Football Focus is BS, you can. It's widely regarded amongst everyone 
throughout the football world. There are some that still doubt it, but for the most part, there's a lot of people that roll off of that, especially when you look and see how you grade offensive and defensive linemen. So I, I went with Crawford. I mean, he finished his career with 128 total tackles, 15 tackles for loss, and seven sacks. But the other thing that you got to look at with him, if he doesn't get injured last year in 2018, those numbers are probably a lot better. Yeah, no. Uh, you, you make a pretty good argument for him to be that fourth guy. Um, and the injury, you know, like you said, slowed down some of his, his statistics. He's also, I mean, look at look at Carolina this year whenever he wasn't on the field. And look at when he not the same. The, yeah, he was just a guy that was just when he when he's on the field, stuff happens in a, in a good way. Because, and like you said, as good a run defender as you're going to find in the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, he graded out as that. Yeah. And and so whatever you want to believe in that, you you know, do whatever you want. But whenever he was on the field, Carolina's defense was better for it. Oh, definitely. Whether it was under Larry Fedora or under Mac Brown, I mean, he, he at least gave you a chance to, to make some plays, so... Right, and I mean, Nazir Jones, a good career, but really took some time to sort of develop into what he eventually became. And and then defensive tackle was the position that I just had the most trouble with going back through because when you look at some of the names, it's it's pretty thin. I actually listed Jason Strobridge as a defensive tackle just because I didn't really know who else I was going to pull if I didn't put him as a defensive tackle, and I thought he was serviceable enough there. I mean, look at our third team guys, and I love pointing these guys out because, look, these aren't the sexy guys that everybody's going to remember and going to say, oh, they were phenomenal players, but they deserve recognition. Justin Thomason, a guy that, you know, if, if you're a real diehard Tar Heel fan, you remember him, came in in 2013, really, as a rotational guy and became a big part of that team, especially his final two years in 2014 and then in the big season in 15. He was the guy, remember, right next to Nazir Jones and put up some pretty solid numbers. And then Ethan Farmer, 2010 to 2014, really just a big space eater guy. Took up a lot of space, a good run defender, and is another one that just won't get the type of credit that he deserves. Um, some of the other guys, I, I wanted to point these guys out at defensive end. Malik Corney, a fantastic career. Um, one of those guys that just kind of got swept under the rug because he played, his final two seasons were just not good years for Carolina. And he played during a time where the defense was never really that good. The best that defense ever was was in 2014, and that unit still wasn't that good. So, uh, and then Norkeith Sotis, another guy that really jumped off the pages junior year, had a huge season, 18 and a half tackles for loss and six and a half sacks, came out and just wasn't able to really duplicate that in his final season, had huge expectations in 14, didn't really do uh, have the type of season we thought, but still a very solid defensive end. So uh, those are the guys we went with there. Now we move on to linebacker, two guys that are no-brainers here, uh, in my opinion. I went okay Kevin Reddick I my my stupid rear end in the offseason did not put him on the linebacker tiers list why I did not put him on there I cannot begin to fathom because that is one of my favorite linebackers that they've had at Carolina I loved Bruce Carter I loved Quan Sturdivant I love Zach Brown Kevin Reddick was my favorite of the of the group because I don't really know 
why? It was just something about him. Whenever he got an opportunity, he made the most. Because you got to remember, when he first got there, he was behind all three of those guys. And rightfully so, because Bruce Carter and Zach Brown, as well as Quan Servant, all three of them were established. He had to come in and kind of pick his way through. Started his career in 2009, and you know his final three seasons, the best of his career, all took place at the start of the decade, though. That's why he's on the list and make him uh, a worthy candidate to be here. His senior season alone, he finished with 85 total tackles, 18 and a half tackles for loss out of the middle linebacker spot and six and a half sacks and deserved a, a first team honor in the ACC and did. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that he should be on there. Uh, the other guy that there's it, it's there's no debate is Cole Holcomb led the team in tackles his final three seasons on campus started his career at Carolina as a walk-on and went on to get selected in the NFL draft late in the fifth round now is a guy that is starting in Washington really one of those guys you know we always talk about you know guys on the basketball program like Luke May who just put in the work that they had to put in weren't the guy that everybody was talking about he's when they came rat. in he's a gym rat film junkie there you go and that is exactly what Cole Holcomb was. Finished his career with 327 total tackles and earned second team All-ACC honors as a senior. Honestly, probably would have been first team if Carolina was a little bit better in his final season, which was 2018, a year ago when they won just two games. But uh, those two, to me, are non-debatable. I think they have to be on this list, especially with some of the other names that are behind them. Uh, I, I think you got to go with both of those guys. Yeah, no. Uh, can, you know, we, I think we forget about Reddick because we had all the three guys that you mentioned mm-hmm. um, before them. Did not know that he was your favorite linebacker in Carolina football history. It's something about him, man. Um, well, okay, I'll say this. Carolina football history from what I have watched since I've been well, watching that's what in I'm, depth. Yeah, yes. You know, I mean, yes. I still thought it was Bruce Carter because that's my guy. Oh, I um, love Bruce. Believe me, I love Bruce. But, but uh, And then Holcomb, yeah. I mean, to come on from a walk-on and then to do all that stuff that he did and was the only player we had defensively the last couple of years because, I mean, he was going to be as sure as the tacklers you, was we had at the linebacking spot. Had uh, to cover in space, too. I mean, he was a guy that they played out of position so many times. Yeah, it was much. unbelievable. And, they just threw him out there. He just, just shrugged his shoulders, went and made football plays. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with those two. Um, and Hulk, like you said, in the NFL with the Redskins, now was a starter towards the end of that year for, for Washington. So it's really translated for him over the NFL level. And the linebacking core, it took a dip in this decade as it was the year before, yep. but there were still quality guys that we got to see. Right, and so that leads to the third guy. And so there was, I, I had to go over this for a minute. Zach Brown played a little bit in this era, but 2010 he had an injury that just limited his production and 2011 he had a big year he had one big year so how do you compare that with the rest of the guys in the decade was kind of the question to me um so the guys that I went with Andre Smith was a guy that you had to talk about it but again you want to talk about a guy that struggled with injuries that's kind of what derailed him that 17 season that was what cost him if he plays that whole 17 season I think this is more of a conversation of course goes to the NFL early after that but his first two years on campus became a key part of that 2015 defense again that was a defense that still struggled but became a key part of that group and then in 16 was really the guy 
in that linebacking core for the Tar Heels because Cole Holcomb was there but was still kind of taking some time to evolve into what he was. And then the other guy, I had Shaq Rashad up there, but the problem was Shaquille Rashad. If you go back and look, his senior year was as dominant as it gets. 126 tackles, double-digit tackles for loss, and up there in sacks. The biggest issue for him was he, when you talk about a guy that literally had one year, he had one year. Before that, he did not have a season where he had more than 30 tackles in a season. So he was a guy that jumped on the scene for that one year, was phenomenal, but really didn't do a whole lot the rest of his time on campus, unfortunately. Again, we still love Shaq. He's the guy that likes to come out before every game and say we're going to win by 30. The optimism is fantastic. He's also one of the best personalities ever, and uh, he does like Justin Bieber. Do we? That's probably the reason he's not on the list, right? Like, I mean, I'm going to put him on the list for his Twitter account. There uh, we go. Because I mean, it is true. He also was one of the main people that got behind creating the Ten God shirt that we had for Mitch Trubisky in 2016. You know, the one that was Mitch Trubisky but wasn't a Mitch Trubisky shirt from Barstool Sports. Yeah, so, we both we both actually own that T-shirt. We do. As a we do. Of fact. I am uh, not wearing that shirt today. I'm disappointed in myself. But yeah, I mean, the the third spot I for completely was tuned out. Who you said after we talked about Zach? Well, okay, Brown. I hadn't. Okay, so I had. I haven't listed the guy that I put on there yet, but Zach Brown, because you had the one year, but how does that stack up against everybody else? So I said Andre Smith, because you had the two really good years. I get You have to take into account the injury, because you would think that if he doesn't get injured against Louisville, he was going to have a huge year, because it was him, Cole Holcomb, Donnie Miles, and MJ Stewart, and that was pretty much it on that, on that team. Uh, so, I mean... You then, I mean, who who else are you gonna you gonna put up there? I mean, I got some guys on the third team: Case and Collins, who had a sneaky good career; Travis Hughes, who we we loved but really wasn't all that productive; and then my other guy on the third team, Chaz Surratt, who had one year. I mean, we can't. I don't. Where is, I, uh, where is Jeff Schottmer on this list? Buddy? Jeff Schottmer is the guy that is the that that is my pick. At linebacker. That's who I went with. I wanted to kind of throw all the other names out there and then finish with the guy I went with, which was Schottmer. Um, Look, never led the team in tackles, but really that was just because he had a lot of guys around him that were really talented. I mean, look, Donnie Miles had 128 tackles in his senior year. He was not going to catch Donnie Miles. That is a huge number for Donnie, uh, as well as you had Shaquille Rashad who had 126 tackles that year. But really just a, a very solid player in the middle of the defense, 279 total tackles in his career, 19 tackles for loss. One of the biggest things about Schottmer that we will always remember is yeah, he played middle linebacker, but he came in as a converted safety, which to then play middle linebacker is amazing. To go from a safety to a middle linebacker, first of all, you got to put on a lot of weight, and that's a lot of responsibility that you've got to have. But he was also just great in coverage. He had four interceptions in his career, and two of them he took back for touchdowns, both coming in the 2014 season. So I went with Jeff Schottmer, but, you know, he's one of those guys that if, you know, in in any other era, he probably, I mean, he's probably a guy that lands on a third team, maybe doesn't even get mentioned. It's just the the era at linebacker for the Tar Heels was, was really, really thin, with talent, but still, I mean, Jeff Schottmer is a guy that deserves recognition because while he may not have been great, he was still very solid. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's what I thought the answer was, was going to be here. Um, like I said, great, as good a coverage linebacker as Carolina has had, he made up for his run deficiency for being able to make plays in the passing game. 
Also, another was a guy that was a walk or was a was a walk on yep. Juku transfer, one of the two For, former walk on, yep. um, and just one of the hidden gems that Larry Fedora was able to find and was a big part of that 2015 defense. And uh, I mean the hair. I mean, you know, that's, that's you can't <laughs> all, talk about all, him without all Larry. hair team. He's definitely up there along with uh, okay Tommy Bancroft, uh, Caleb Presley when he had the long hair as the quarterback. That takes a lot to pull off. We've seen that uh, here since. Now, I mean, are we putting him up there with Trevor Lawrence and uh, your guy out in Hawaii, old Cole McDonald? I mean, you know, look, it's up there. I mean, now to think now he's got a shaved head. I mean, it's it's completely yeah, get, oh, just it's a completely just one eighty. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was one of the guys that I just I loved watching. And maybe it was, right. it was you got to hear the announcers mess his name up every week. Oh. Um, Our boy Nick Dorman, who is a Clemson fan, that uh, we you know have been friends with for a while now he used to call him jeff scoopmer yeah um so yeah that, but that also kind of shows you that you know that him being on the list shows you where the the production drops right. off at the linebacker right. spot for well and uh, yeah and I'm, i mean i i don't want to you know i think i sounded like i was a guy that really was kind of knocking on shotmer a lot i you want to talk about one of the hardest working guys during this decade. It was definitely Jeff Schottmer. I mean, to go from a walk-on at safety and come in and play middle linebacker for three years in the middle of that defense, it, it took a lot. So you got to hand it to him. Uh, we'll move to the defensive backs. Uh, again, there there are some no-brainers here. Uh, I, there's one at safety, one at corner that I went with. Trey Boston, no doubt in my mind. Came in as a corner, moved to safety his senior year. Now, of course, is at safety in the NFL. But, I mean, he was a do-it-all type of guy. Uh, finished with at least 70 tackles and three interceptions in each of his final three seasons and earned honorable mention in second-team All-ACC honors in his final two seasons on campus. Had 13 interceptions, the most of any Tar Heel in the decade, and was really just dominant. The other guy that has to be on this list is MJ Stewart. Uh, was as good of a lockdown corner as you're going to find for Carolina. Also played the nickelback position so well. I, I mean, pretty much... Remember, we were still kind of in the little hangover from when Vic Coning was there and wanted to play the 4-2-5 defense. We were saying, man, we never want to see nickel again. And MJ Stewart kind of changed our minds on that because he was so good as a run defender. Finished with 199 total tackles, 11 and a half tackles for loss, six interceptions, and more importantly, the most pass deflections by a mile in the decade with 41 in his career he was as good as it got at cornerback you are not throwing the football on either Trey Boston or MJ Stewart yeah no those two names you you can't argue with and you think about MJ a lot of times he was put on an island and he just made play after play after play I mean, it was a first round pick or it was a no, second round pick second round of yeah. the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and was really, like you said, after we got done with Vic Coning, we were done with nickel defense, and then we brought it back with him. So, Right, and then Trey Boston, I mean, to move from – he because there were a couple of guys that did it. He was the first that played corner for three years. They had a void at safety, and they told him, okay, we're going to move you to safety, and he did it with seamless transition. Actually played better at safety yeah, than he no, played at corner. That's what I, I thought so, when the transition happened, and, I mean, that was, it paved him a way to have a career in the NFL. So, Although I thought he could have had a career because he was a good coverage corner, and that's the thing that was so great about him is he could play both positions. So if you needed to tell him, like we saw so often this year – 
with all the injuries that we had. Miles Dorn had to play one-on-one coverage. Trey Boston could play one-on-one coverage with ease. He's like, yeah, I used to be a corner, so this is not difficult for me. So, yeah, those were the two guys that I had as shoe-ins. The other, the other positions were a, a, a decent debate. Um, you know, I think let's go with corner because I went with Tim Scott. I think that was pretty close with him and Des Lawrence, uh, who I, I, you, I think you're going to go with because you were a Des Lawrence guy for sure. That that was your guy. Um, but I mean, you look at w- with Tim Scott, you know, finished his career with. 218 total tackles, 10 and a half tackles for loss, eight interceptions, 16 pass deflections. I went with them because he was a little more of a playmaker on the ball. He had more interceptions than Lawrence did. Um, but, uh, you know, a- another one of those guys that had to move to safety his final year, did a really good job, led the team in tackles his senior year on campus in 2014. Um, and just one of those versatile guys that that I thought fit there. And then the other position that you had some debate at was safety. I went with Donnie Miles uh, over, uh, I mean, it, it kind of shaped out. Sam Smiley, really good career, actually was a three-year guy. I didn't really realize that until you went back. Really had three productive years on campus. Dominique Green at safety, another guy who, uh, you know, Surprisingly, was a guy that took the ball away maybe more than you could than you realized, and then uh, of course Miles Dorn, I had him on the third team, or Denora Searcy, who had literally one year. Uh, he was there 2007 to 2010, so he was a one-year guy. That's hard to put him up there. Uh, so I went with Donnie Miles because I mean, look, uh, you know he may he didn't finish with all ACC honors ever. I don't know how that makes. Absolutely no sense, um, but he had consecutive seasons of over 100 total tackles out of the safety position. Definition of an in-the-box type of guy. As I mentioned, led the team in tackles in 2015 with 128 and did finish his career with 320 tackles and nine and a half for a loss. So I, I went with uh, Donnie Miles and Tim Scott. Do you uh, agree with me there, or do you want to sub one or both of those guys out? Uh, I would, I'd put Des Lawrence in there over Tim Scott. Like I said, I was a big fan of D-Law. Um, he was a big part of that defensive success that we experienced under Gene Chizik. Really mm-hmm. benefited from bringing Gene Chizik in. It really helped his, techni- uh, his technical part of his game. I was really a big fan of his, uh, his length at, at corner. And then, dude, Donnie Miles, man, that guy just all, I mean, that guy made every tackle on the field because normally the 10 guys in front of him didn't make tackles. Pretty much. But, I mean, even, I mean, as good of a safety in the run game as I've, as we've seen. Yeah, I and, mean, it wasn't, uh, he, I mean, if he, you can go back and look at his statistics, he had five pass deflections his entire career. Wasn't used that much at all in pass coverage, but, yeah, I mean, there is nobody that is that, that we've seen at Carolina that is a better run tackler out of the safety position. Right. At least since we've been watching. Um, Now, I think a a couple of guys that uh, deserve to be pointed out at corner, uh, Jabari Price. Now, when you went back and looked, I went back and looked at his stats, and, uh, you know, I had to put him behind. I couldn't include him in that debate between 
Lawrence and Tim Scott. I mean, really good player, but just really didn't have the statistics. Uh, I, I know you'll love this on the third team. Uh, I went with Charles Brown as one of my third team That's guys. My guy. He was, of course, suspended for most of the 2010 season because of the NCAA issues, but did come back in that 2011 season, had one big year. That's the reason he's not higher. And then I went with Patrice Rene as my other third team guy. Uh, really a guy that, you know, came in started, in, remember, started the first game of his career, actually, against Georgia, uh, disappeared but came back late in the 2017 season, produced well enough. 2018 had the best year of his career, phenomenal, and then was set up to have a phenomenal year this year. He'll be back, of course, this next year in 2020, but I think he's a guy that deserves to be up there as well. Uh, some really good corners, but uh, we'll, we'll go with those guys. Uh, so then special teams, we won't go too in-depth here because I went full nerd and decided to go with deep snappers and holders as well to go j- just to point out some other guys. But um, I think, okay, kick returner and punt returner, I don't care if you think there's a debate. You're not allowed to think there's a debate because TJ Logan, uh, five career kickoff returns for touchdowns, averaged 272 Yards per kick return, uh, which is an is a Tar Heel record by a mile. Uh, that at least since they've started recording punt return and kick return statistics. And then the other guy, Ryan Switzer. There is literally no debate on this one. He could have won it even if he retired after his freshman season, uh, where he did set an NCAA record for. Uh, for return yard average in that season with 20.9 and tied the NCAA record with five punt return touchdowns in his first year on campus, finished his career uh, with a beautiful 10.9 yards per punt return average and seven career touchdowns. Uh, Those two are non-debatable. The other guys, a little more debatable. Casey Barth, I went with him because... Uh, yeah, I mean, he had the first two years on campus, very successful in 08 and 09. Of course, came back uh, in 2010 to start the decade uh, as a junior, got injured in 2011, and got the red shirt to come back in 2012. Uh, in the decade finished 35 of 42 on field goal attempts so very efficient um so i went with him and then uh, at punter i went with tommy hibbert over tom sheldon uh the averages were were pretty close um but i think hibbert just a little more consistent also stayed there a year longer uh than tom sheldon so uh, i decided to go with those two guys do you have uh are you going to go with anybody else at either of those two positions because there are cases to be made. Nick Weiler has a yeah, really interesting I mean, case. The thing with Weiler was like, you know. Struggled we, his first year. We started with the guy that outside of 35 yards, we could kick field goals. Right. And Final then, two years, pretty good. Not as efficient as Barth is why I went with Barth. But still re- really came back after. when we. I mean, we remember when he used to come on the field and we were like, oh, no, please, no. I mean, I think he's got to be there not only for the kick he made at Florida State. Right. The celebration alone just is, is I mean, yeah. worthy of. Of being Feel, and by the way, nickname as well, Field Goal Jesus. Yeah, come on, I, I come mean, on. You know he has he, to be in the debate. So that's probably the only thing I change. Um, really, you're, you're not taking Logan or Switzer out of nah. the return spots. That was a total get off my lawn moment from you, by the way. But you're not allowed. Oh, you're not allowed. No, no, no. I'm uh, sorry. There's nobody else that is going to fit up. That you could maybe make an argument a kick returner for 
Ratliff Williams, but Logan was just on a different level. I and mean, then and then punter, yeah. I mean, I, I'd go Hibber just because he they they punted more. So yeah, I mean, Tom Sheldon extremely efficient. Remember what was it? His first year on campus in 2016. I think he allowed three return yards the whole year. So I mean, you want to talk about a guy that was just a weapon? Uh, I went with him, and then I mean, you get into some of the deeper guys and in, in the third team. I mean, that you know. Kickers and, and punters, you know, if you got really good ones, they're going to stay around for a while. So, I mean, we had guys like Freeman Jones on there and, and on the third team as well as Hunter Lent. So, uh, some interesting guys there. Uh, and then you guys, of course, can go on and check out the article, which will go a little more in depth. So, we discussed a lot of the guys, but uh, there's still a lot of guys that you can go and look. Uh, all, of the, all of the position groups, you have a first, second, and third team. The first team, uh, we go in depth on why we picked the guys the second and third team it'll just be the names but you can go there and look it's a nice trip down memory lane uh, and the all-decade team a really fun thing that we were able to do those are uh, both going to be up on the website uh, when this podcast is out so make sure that you check that one out as well as the basketball edition where we have the starting five and some honorable mentions at the bottom of that article you guys will really like that walk down memory lane Uh, some guys that may not always be talked about uh Uh, In the upper echelon, when you go back and talk about the history of uh, the respective sports at Carolina, but guys that definitely deserve recognition for what they did in this decade. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Of course, we want you guys to go back, check out the recap of the game against Temple. We have uh, coming up the grade, or not grade, excuse me, that's going to be an article. Uh, We have the awards coming up uh, that we're going to do for the 2019 season. Take a look back at our state. Standouts uh, that we projected before the season and how those finished up. Uh, and we'll do that uh, coming up later this week. And then, of course, uh, we'll be circling back around into off-season mode, which we've done uh, the past few years. Going to have some interviews in the off-season that we're going to do, some really fun topics that we're going to bring up. And, of course, we'll be keeping you up to date on everything going on on the recruiting trail as we head towards February signing period, which seems like it's going to be a pretty quiet one. 2021 trail, as well as uh, stuff going on with the NFL draft, guys entering the transfer portal and everything like that. One bit of news that I did want to slip in there in case you guys did miss it. I got an article online about it. Carl Tucker and Greg Ross both officially in the transfer portal. We knew Greg Ross was going to be in the transfer portal. um, Really just kind of signified by the fact that he was out there on senior day. He is going to go as a graduate transfer so there was a chance that he could walk away from football but he's going to try to play football somewhere else uh, as a graduate transfer and uh, Carl Tucker got an extra year of eligibility but is deciding to go elsewhere that probably in large part due to the fact that Garrett Walston took over the starting job late in the season and uh, Carolina brought in three tight ends in this recruiting class depending on what happens with Jefferson Boaz so uh, there is going to be a lot of depth at the position Carl feels that it's best to move on um, and I think honestly what he's probably going to do he might take the chance to go and play with his brother uh, at Elon as he just signed with the Phoenix uh, during the early signing period so that could be pretty cool we wish them both the best and of course we'll keep you covered on anything else that happens with that you can check that all out on heeltoughblog.com we have all the articles up there for you go back look at the recap article from the game against temple as well as the stock report 
from Bowl Week. And that's right, the Trench Report, the final one of the season, written by the guy you just heard from. So make sure you go on there. Check out those articles. Keep up to date on everything that we've got going on. Make sure that you subscribe uh, to the newsletter at the bottom of the page. Put your email down there. That'll subscribe you to it. Or make sure that you are following the Twitter page at Blog on Twitter or uh, my account at FutureTorial, Josh's account at JoshuaMarlow5. And then, of course, the Facebook account. That's the most crucial one. Make sure you like and follow the Facebook account uh, on uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash HeelToughBlog. Uh, we are kind of getting restricted in some of those groups that we're trying to post. I know a lot of people like seeing it in the groups. Um, but unfortunately, Facebook's got some rules that they are really trying to hammer down on our accounts. So the best way to do it, make sure that you like the page so that you will be able to see everything. It'll pop right up on your timeline and you'll get a notification whenever we post. So make sure that you guys check that out. That's the best way to keep up with everything. Best way to keep up with the podcast. You can subscribe to those on any of your major podcasting sites. So uh, of course, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart radio any of those sites you can do that and we also want you to rate review and then subscribe to the podcast leave us a nice little rating give us a little review down there we'd really appreciate that from you guys uh, you've been listening for so long we want to improve if there's any way we can and of course uh, we're always looking to get you guys involved as well so make sure that you guys go ahead and do that for us we greatly appreciate it so want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the heel tough blog podcast and as always Go Tar Heels. Talk to you next year.